So we, uh, I want to invite you to, to find in your Bible Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. We've uh, been coming through this series called uh, Leaving Your Comfort Zone. And we're looking at uh, the story of Exodus, the story of how God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. And uh, as he's doing that, we're seeing in many ways specifically how he is challenging Moses and how Moses is responding to that challenge. Um, so as we backtrack into Moses' story just a little bit, uh, I want to put it in perspective a little bit. Uh, today, today, Vernon, our sound guy, is 40 years old. There it is. Vernon is 40 years old. And um, to put that, maybe some of you are around 40, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not close to that yet. <laughs> You're old, man. He has a ribbon. He won't wear it. Well, we'll have, to, we'll have to fix that. Oh, he's got it on now. All right, good. So 40-year-old Vernon, and um, I, I, I share that because, I, because of this, right? So as we backtrack through Moses' life a little bit, we've been talking about this for the last few weeks. Moses was really distraught by this injustice that was happening in Egypt, right? Um, the Hebrews, the Israelite people were, were very oppressed. They were enslaved. And at one point in his life, he was around 40 years old, um, he killed an Egyptian. He killed an Egyptian who was oppressing the Hebrew people. And then uh, the response to that action was 40 years of exile uh, in the desert, and, and that's where we're going to find him today, right? At the end of that 40-year exile, last week we talked about God coming to Moses in the burning bush. And we're going to see what he does in response to that. But I want us to keep in the back of our minds this perspective that um, he is twice Vernon's age. All right? He is twice Vernon's age. And he has just spent all of Vernon's life in the desert because of this action that he took in killing the Egyptian. So uh, that gives us a, a little bit of context that catches us up. And today, as we continue in this idea of leaving your comfort zone, we're going to talk about the difference between leaving your comfort zone um, in, in a way that's really for yourself and in a way that's Christ-centered. And we're going we're gonna to think about that in the context of injustice. We're going to think about that in the context of uh, our current state of affairs. Right? So, um, saddle in. Let's go on the journey a little bit, right? Exodus 5, Exodus 6. Uh, one of my greatest fears is not knowing the answer. Uh, my personality lends itself to that. One of my greatest strengths is, uh, is learning. Like, I love to learn things, but the, the downside of that sometimes is if I don't know the answer to something, it is very intimidating for me. Like, I will shut down, clam up. Um, and in fact, one of the most difficult things for me to do is to put myself in a position where I'm afraid that I'm not going to know the answer. I go through this every day of my life. One of the first things I do in the morning is I walk into my closet and I have to decide what I'm going to wear. And the problem is, is I don't know what I'm supposed to wear. And uh, I, will, I will labor over this, and I labor over this now because I'm coming through years and years and years of walking out of my closet and Caitlin going, oh, honey, 
Oh, honey. So anytime I am coordinating or like, I don't know, the patterns match and I don't have on like brown boots and a black belt, I'm learning, see, little things. Uh, it is a success for my wife, and um, I have overcome one of my greatest fears of not knowing the answer. Um, as a result, she has to lay the kid's clothes out. Like, I can, I can help in the execution of, like, getting the clothes on the kid, but you don't want me picking out clothes, right? I just don't do that well. Um, there, there's a lot of things that I don't know, and yet one of my greatest fears is, is walking into a situation where I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. <clears throat> That can be a problem in life. That can be a problem in life. Maybe we share that fear, if even just a little bit. Uh, there's been several times, even just this week, that uh, I, I, like I get distraught. Like I will, I will shut down. And maybe you have two at moments. As we face things in our community, in our world, in our nation, that we don't really know the answer to. I haven't been on social media one time this past week or so that I haven't seen an opinion on whether NFL players kneeling during the national anthem is right or wrong. Uh, I, and I don't know the answer, right? Like there's several injustices that are being claimed. Police brutality against black men, a lack of patriotism, subordination. I mean, there, there's an opinion and an angle to every side of the conversation. And um, it's, it's debilitating for me because I don't know the answer. What should I say? As a, as a spiritual leader, what should I say? What, what's the answer? I don't know. I was in a situation um, at another point in time this week. I, I serve once a month uh, with Awake Ministries, and uh, I deliver some food to about 15 elderly individuals here in our community. And those people, they it's terrible. They have no resources, very little resources. They have no community. I'll walk in and they'll often share with me how they haven't seen their family members in months. And they have no voice. They have no way to even express the wrongs that are happening in their life. And this week, one of these sweet ladies, she was sharing some things with me and she just looked at me and she said, why does life have to end this way? I have to look at her and I'm like, I don't know. I don't have the answer, and I hate that. Like, that bothers me. It, it shuts me down. I sat this week. I mean, this is, this is just this week, right? And it's just my life. And I, you may have things that, that are coming to mind for you. There, there are just things in our world. There are these things that we call injustices. And, and yes, sometimes they're racism, and sometimes they're, they're systemic, and sometimes they're big things, and sometimes they're just the small wrongs that are happening in our everyday lives. But I sat this week, and I, I listened to a student at our student ministry last Sunday. She begins to share the story of how when she was in middle school, she had a group of friends and they began to share with her that they thought she should commit suicide. That was their solution for her life. What do you say? How do you answer them? Injustices are everywhere. I mean, that was just my week. And I know that you all have different stories and different experiences, and, and I don't even know why you came to Christ Community Church this morning. There's a variety of reasons. But all of us live in this world where there are, are so many wrongs. So many wrongs. But we all want the hope of Christ that says that those wrongs can be right. 
For here we have no lasting city, but we're seeking the city that is to come, right? We're looking to this eternal heaven that, that is with Jesus, that he's preparing for us, that is great and perfect and beautiful. I hate not knowing the answer. It makes me shut down, especially when I know that people are suffering through all of these situations. So I want us to just face this question for just a minute as we get ready to read Scripture because if we don't think about this in, in real terms, then it all is kind of fluff and meaningless and nothing. What do we do when faced with injustice? Think about your life. Think about our church collectively. What do we do when we're faced with injustice? We're going to read today in Exodus 5 and Exodus 6. We're going to read through the passage a lot, so I want to really encourage you to find it in your Bible, if you haven't, or on your phone. And we're going to see two different responses to injustice. We're going to see the response of Pharaoh, and we're going to see the response of Moses. And we're going to be forced to ask of ourselves, how do we respond? What do we do when faced with injustice? If you've got Exodus 5, read with me as I... Read through the first 14 verses. I've got to find it in my text here. It says this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. And then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. And therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can and find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? How did Pharaoh respond to injustice? Pharaoh is, is called to action on the injustice, the bigger injustice of enslaving the Hebrew people. We know that they're oppressed. We've been reading it in the first chapters of Exodus. And, and even God himself says, I see my people. I see their oppression. But to be fair, this wasn't even an oppression that, that Pharaoh would have started. 
right? This was something that had begun generations before him. And, and as the next in line, it, it was a situation that was just handed to him. The workforce was the enslaved Hebrew people. And so Pharaoh responds when he's challenged on this injustice. And he responds out of his own voice. He says, I don't, I don't know the Lord. And, and I'm just going to respond out of my own voice. He finds his voice and he piles even more work on the already overworked group of people. Because for Pharaoh, it was easier to add to an injustice that didn't start with him than it was to right a wrong. It was easier for him to add to an injustice that didn't start with him than it was to right a wrong. Think about that for a minute. We see the wrongs of our world, right? We see so many difficult things in our society. But sometimes when we don't know the answer, it's easier for us to add to the injustice than it is for us to right a wrong. It's easier for us to protect who we always have been or, or what we've always had or the way things have always worked than it is to right a wrong. And the ugliness of injustice always begins with a person who is unwilling to go outside of his comfort zone. Because you see, when, when Pharaoh is unwilling to go outside of his comfort zone to right a wrong, it gives his foreman, it gives the leaders permission then to, to execute that. And what we end up seeing is, is Israelites beaten because they're unable to do the work. It was easier for those under Pharaoh's command to do ugly things once he had begun the chain of injustice. And so when Pharaoh was, was faced with social injustice in his kingdom, he found his own voice. He, he didn't trust in the Lord. He found his own voice. So how does Moses respond to this, right? Moses sees the, uh, the injustice. And, and, and remember, we talked about at the beginning of the history, he began 40 years ago by killing an Egyptian. And then he was put into exile for 40 years. Pick up with me in verse 20 as we continue reading in the story. So in the meantime, right, like the Israelite people, they're, they're being beaten, they're being oppressed, and they actually go to Moses and they're like, dude, what are you doing, right? Why did you say anything to Pharaoh? Because now it's worse than it was before. That's where we find him in verse 20. It says, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And then Moses turned to the Lord and he said, oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. This is Moses who, you know, just a little while ago was convinced that the Lord was speaking to him. He knew his calling. He'd made a long journey across the desert to confront Pharaoh. And as soon as it went bad, right, and as soon as the people came and challenged him, he says, Why, God? Why? 6.1. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and he said to him, 
I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession, because I am the Lord. And Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. And so the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips." I mean, Moses, if you're Moses, like you're depressed, you're discouraged, you're maybe debilitated like we talked about in the beginning. He doesn't have an answer. He's like, God, you told me to come and free my people. I spoke to Pharaoh. He made it worse. Now the people won't listen to me. Pharaoh won't listen to me. God, what are you doing? God says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something. And I just need you to keep being obedient. To keep being faithful. You see, what I love about Moses' pattern, his response to injustice, right, is that every time he was hit with a barrier, every time he was hit with an obstacle, every time it got hard for Moses, I want us to notice that in Scripture, he turned back to the Lord, right? When Pharaoh says, I'm going to make it worse, Moses turns to the Lord, and he has an honest prayer with him, right? When, when he goes to the people and they don't listen to him, he turns back to the Lord. And he says, Lord, they're not listening to me. Now what? Right? At time and time again, Moses turns to the Lord. So you see, when we answer that question, what do we do when we face injustice? There's really one of two answers. We either find our own voice, the voice that protects us and, and the voice that allows us to continue on as we are, or we find the Lord and we let the Lord fight for us. When Moses was faced with social injustice, he found the Lord. And only then, once the Lord had spoken, did he speak. You see, even when Moses didn't want to do it, even when he doubted that God could come through, even when he was completely unsure about his own ability to lead, Moses kept coming before the Lord. He kept asking to speak, and and God kept showing up. Now, I want us to notice something else. In the Old Testament, um, genealogies are, are really important. They're really important. Who your ancestors were in the Old Testament defined everything about you. When people knew who you were, that, that was how they made their decisions about you. And I want us to notice that Moses' genealogy is listed right here after this passage. Right? I'm not going to read it to you. That, that might get a little dry. I'm dry enough as it is. I don't need any help. But I'm reading through the passage this week, and I'm asking myself, why would Moses' genealogy be listed right here, right? Moses wrote this book. He could have have put it at the beginning so that everybody knew who he was talking about. He could have put it at the end as a way to honor his ancestors and, you know, all the things. But instead, in, in what's possibly like the greatest injustice of all, like Pharaoh has come down doubly hard on the Israelites. 
It looks like there's no hope, and Moses is completely unsure of himself. That's where his genealogy is. And I found myself asking the question, why? And I believe this. I believe that it is at our moment of greatest weakness. It is at our moment when we don't know what the answer is. It is at our moment when, when we don't see the way out that we are forced to trust in God and, and that he defines who we are and his purpose and his plan for us. You see, I believe that it's because it's in these moments of deepest injustice, the, the deepest confusion and the deepest hurt that the voice of God clearly speaks Moses' purpose to him. God reminded him of who he was, and then Moses did it. I love these two verses in Exodus chapter 6, verses 26 and 27. These aren't verses that you're going to recognize, but these are verses that I think any of us would want to be written about us when our lives are over. It said, These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. Can you catch the beautiful simplicity of that? These two guys, in the middle of, of great injustice, in the middle of great confusion, figured out what God was calling them to do, what God was speaking to them to do, how God was calling them to go outside of their comfort zone. They recognized what it was, and they did it. All they had to do was speak to Pharaoh. If you will just speak to Pharaoh, God will take care of the rest. He will be the mighty hand that, that gets them out of, of slavery, out of Egypt, out of all the things. And in this, it's, it's like they did it. And it shows us this great truth about our God. That God gives us our purpose when we seek out his plans. God gives us our purpose when we seek out his plans. When we choose to be like Moses in the face of difficulties, in the face of situations that we don't know what the answer is, continuing to return to him and turn to him and, and just say, Lord, what do you want me to do now? What do you want me to say now? How do you want us to, as Christians to respond to these issues in our community now? It is in those moments where God speaks the most truth to us. The problem is, I'm not sure we really know how to find the Lord. Right? Think about the question that Rosemary asked. Are you lost or are you saved? How many of us really know how to find the Lord? I had a lunch this week, and we were talking about this idea, and, and I said, you know, I, I like this idea, but I'm not sure if that's what Scripture says, and so I've got to go figure out if that's what Scripture says about it. And he was like, how do you do that? Right? And it's like this light bulb, like, do we really know how to find the Lord? tell you another story that made me think about this. A couple weeks ago, something happened that illuminated this idea for me. Our family was uh, sitting in kind of in our living room. Uh, Caitlin was, we were all doing different things. Caitlin was in the kitchen. Uh, I think she's getting dinner ready. And I was sitting at the kitchen table, and I was probably scrolling through Twitter, reading articles about Purdue football, honestly. Um, and our kids, our kids were, um, they were casting on the Chromecast YouTube videos off of, Probably my iPad, right? And while we're all sitting there, you know, in our own little worlds, I hear Tinley do her frustration growl. Ugh! 
And she does that, and then she goes, I just can't find the video that I want. And it was one of those moments, I don't, maybe you've had these, maybe you've, I, I, I think we've all probably had it in some way or another. And in that moment, it hit me that my five-year-old, who can't even fully read, knows how to find videos on a device on YouTube and cast them to my TV. And I'm like, how do, like, how do kids learn that, right? Like, you can find whatever you want on the internet. She can find a YouTube video, she can Google. And as I reflected on that moment, I've been challenged. Because my child knows how to find her favorite YouTube videos, but does she know how to find the Lord? I know it sounds like a, a simple question, it sounds like a simple thing, but, but I want us to like, really sit and allow the Spirit to ask us today, do you know how to find the Lord? Like, do you know how to spend time with Him? Do you know how to let Him speak into your life? Are you finding Jesus in the face of injustice, or are you finding your own voice? And the tougher question is, do you know how to find the Lord? Because you see, in the face of injustice, it's really easy to find your voice. It's easy to find an article that writes from your perspective. It's easy to, to blast an extremist on one side or the other of the issue on social media. It's easy to share your opinions about racism or Donald Trump or Colin Kaepernick or Rick Pitino with a friend over lunch or coffee or to the world on social media. It's easy to find your own voice. It's much more difficult to find the Lord. So how do you find Jesus in the middle of the chaos? How do you become more like Moses when, when he faced hard things? It wasn't about trying to figure out what, what he should say, but it was about figuring out what the Lord said. I think we can look at this passage today and we can find three things that are going to be maybe simple yet hard, if that makes sense. Three things, three ways that we find Jesus in the middle of the chaos. One is this, to cultivate an honest prayer life. To cultivate an honest prayer life. I love Exodus 5.22. Exodus 5.22 says, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? Those are hard questions, and Moses wasn't afraid to ask God the hard questions. I read a book um, several years ago that was both very forming and deforming in my prayer life. It was called The 10-Second Prayer Principle. And it was very forming because, um, you know, 1 Thessalonians has this passage where it says pray continually. And so this idea of the 10-Second Prayer Principle was awesome because I'd be going throughout my day, and you, you learn how to see things from God's perspective. Like you're in a fight with your wife and you're like, God, please help me not to say anything that's going to end in a divorce, right? Or, you know, you're, you're walking down the street and you see somebody and you're able to, to shoot up a quick prayer. But it was also very deforming because in that I began to tell myself that I'm praying all the time. And I don't, I don't need those longer times of prayer. You see, flyby prayers don't allow the depths of our heart to be exposed. They don't allow us to wrestle with God about the hard things in life. Our culture, our society is getting worse and worse about that. And, and let me challenge you with this. Thinking through an issue is not praying about an issue. Thinking through the stuff in your life is not praying through the stuff in your life. 
praying is when we intentionally put ourselves in the presence of God and ask him to change us, to speak to us about those situations. To find Jesus in the middle of the chaos, we have to cultivate an honest prayer life. And the second thing is that we have to memorize scripture. We have to memorize scripture. Uh, Exodus 6.9. Exodus 6.9 says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So some context here, right? Moses had just heard from the Lord and he speaks that word to the people. And so Moses, it was very easy for him to recognize that this was God's word. But the people couldn't recognize that it was God's word. How often is that true for us? As we're going through our daily lives, it's difficult sometimes to recognize what is God's word and what is not God's word. And one of the only ways that we can battle against that is to hide God's word in our heart. Psalm 119.9 is, is one of my favorite verses. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to God's word. We can only do that if we know what God's word is. Uh, if this is something that, that you can, if you want to take a step in, there's an awesome app out there called Scripture Typer. Scripture Typer has been super helpful in learning to memorize scripture and really uh, take it in and, and allow scripture to be a part of who you are. Because when you get into those difficult conversations, when you begin to interact with somebody who is a Christian or maybe not a Christian, and they say something and you're challenged by it, the only way to know what is from the Lord and what is from you is to know what the Lord says. And we must begin to hide God's word in our heart, to memorize scripture. The last thing, the last way that we find Jesus in the middle of the chaos is we have to slow down. We have to slow down. Exodus 7, 7, just this reminder from the beginning, right? Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. We spend so much of our lives hoping that we don't miss something. We're so worried that we're not going to get it all in, that we're, not going to, we're going to miss out on an experience. God didn't even start using Moses until he was 80. He'd spent 40 years preparing him in the desert. We have to learn to slow ourselves down because the reality is that we can get ahead of God too. And that's just as bad as being behind him. One of the most practical ways that I know to do this is, is by fasting. Fasting expresses to God our desire to engage with him. And, and fasting is just simply giving something up so that we might gain Christ in its place. Whether it's food or water or some kind of media, whatever it is, um, it's about gaining Christ. We must slow down so that Jesus can speak to us clearly in the middle of the chaos. I want to finish by just thinking about Christ's community, right? Christ's community. If you're, if you're new, uh, this will give you some context into who we are, right? Christ's community, um, we have always embraced this idea of righting wrongs in our community. We do it through our serving nature, right? We, we do Love Shelbyville Days. We serve with partners. Like We are all about the action, Going outside, getting our hands dirty. And I love that about us. I love that about us. In the last several weeks, um, we've been going through a, a search process trying to find a, a discipleship pastor, a new position at our church. And um, I've gotten to serve alongside of a great team of people. 
Josh Ballard and Jenny Witham, Tori Smith, Tiffany Keene, Sue Ellis, Ben Henry. And um, it's been so refreshing. We started with tons of resumes and um, we prayerfully selected about eight people and um, we interviewed those people and we, we selected three out of that and, and we we're beginning to bring some of those individuals in and, and bring them here to our context. And, and one of the things that we love sharing with them is our heart for serving, our heart for righting wrongs in the community. And we're not doing it all, but, but we're trying to, to do our best to uh, bring justice through serving. It's so cool this week. Uh, we were meeting with this candidate, and uh, we had dinner with him. And he's asking questions of the team. He says, I want to hear from each of you on the search team how you came to Christ's community and one way that God has changed your life by being a part of Christ's community. Okay, cool. So one by one, they start going around the table. And it was just incredible. I, like, I... I can't put words in it. So each begins to recall just their experience of coming into Christ's community. And, and for many of them, uh, they share that same excitement about serving, about uh, making wrongs right. But for none of them, but for none of them, was the moment that, that was most impactful for them through serving. It was always about when God had, had done something new in their life, when God had spoken a truth to them, when they had interacted and engaged with God. And that happened in a variety of ways. Sometimes it was through a song. Sometimes it was through a community group. Sometimes it was through an experience where people came around them and loved on them. But I was just reminded and I was in awe as, as these people who are, man, they carry the heartbeat of Christ Community Church. And I was just in awe and reminded that, man, we are so much more than, than just serving we have to keep seeking the Lord. He has to keep speaking to us fresh, again, new and new and new, and, and, and over and over and over. We have to find him each day. And if we ever get to a point where we're just serving, but we're not led by the Lord, then we're just going to fizzle out and, and be another activist group. And no one wants to be that. So my question for each of us, right, coming back to the, to the beginning, what do we do when we're faced with injustice? Do we have so much pride that we think we have the answers to fix the wrongs? Or are we still willing to, to get in and wrestle with God, to seek him in his scripture, to pray, like to, to slow down our lives enough to pray and to learn scripture, to interact with the God who created us? Today, the band's going to come back up, and we're going to respond, um, whether you want to or not, right? We, we all respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came to earth and he died on the cross, he paid for all the wrongs, right? He fixed all the wrongs. We may not see those fixes until we get to heaven, but he fixed all the wrongs. Our belief in him, our relationship with him, our trust in him is what will lead us 
to a place of peace and of comfort. Rosemary asked the question, are you lost or are you saved? If today you're wrestling with that question or if you, if you know you're lost, we would love to have that conversation with you in the back. Don't leave here in doubt. Just don't do it. Why would you want to leave here in doubt? But for many of us, we know that we're saved, and now we're wrestling with this idea of, man, do I know how to find the Lord? Am I really seeking the Lord as I face all the stuff that's wrong in my life? Or am I trying to fix it by myself? Would you let the Lord wrestle that down in your heart today? Would you spend time in prayer with him? Would you commit to him to seek him with all your heart? For those of you who have been baptized, as we saw today, in by immersion, believer's baptism, we've got the Lord's Supper. You can come up and take a piece of the bread, representing his body. It was broken for you, and, and the blood that was shed for you, you can dip it in that. And remember, remember your wrongs and how Jesus made them right. We can respond by giving, and then, of course, the celebration through song. Would you stand with me, and I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll all respond to the gospel together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you and your powerful hand, your outstretched arm, are moving us. You redeem us, you save us, and you give us the power to face this world. God, I pray that you would be with us today, and that you would continue to guide us and lead us through your word in this time this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.